Hello there. Before we really begin, I have to add a slight warning to anyone listening. For some reason, there were recording issues that caused the clicking sound to appear some of the way through this. It's been filtered out as much as possible so that it isn't as obnoxious as it was, but it is still there. Please do try to tune it out and enjoy the scintillating chat that accompanies it. Now that I've got that out of the way, we can really begin. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hello listeners. Welcome to the first edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie, since we're very close to the release of the next Star Trek film, Star Trek Beyond, I thought I would open this up by discussing what came before, starting with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, open bracket, 2009, close bracket. Before I bring in my fellow panelists, I will set the podcast to spoiler alert. Now to beam everyone in. Welcome aboard, everybody. Hello. Hello. Uh, everyone everyone arrive in one piece? Kind of. I think I've lost one of my arms. Oh, well. We'll, we'll persevere. Oh, yeah. Very funny, Craig. Um, can you be my head on the right way around now? We're not in space balls. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm going to love it. The, the transporter isn't working as well as it should. No one ever, so, uh... no one ever told me my, my arse is this big. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, so... With us today, we've got uh, Natalie, who was on the previous podcast that isn't published yet, so that's in the future, but also the past. So, hi, Natalie. Hello. Uh, we have Angus. Hi, Angus. Hello. And Alexander Richardson, who's not involved with the site, um, but likes to be on talking about Star Trek. Hello. So, hi, Sandy, as you like to be called. Yes, thank you. Hello. So... We're all here to talk about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies for our sins. So, um, the J.J. Abrams ones are like the latest ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes the, I'm just clarifying that for the people who obviously don't know. Voice of the new. <laughs> the next generation, shall we yep, say. Yep, here oh. we go. And then. <laughs> I can only imagine you've got hundreds of these lined up. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you wouldn't believe. But did you know it's actually got an official name now? Yeah, the Kelvin verse. Yes. Yeah. What? Oh, wait, I read about that. I didn't. <laughs> M- makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So, Shastar, what is everybody's background with, with Star Trek? I mean, I could ask for everybody's background with films, but that would take a while. So, uh, just Star Trek. Um, I watched the newest one, as in the one that was Into Darkness yesterday for the first time. And then okay. the day before that, I watched the the new first one. Which isn't the one yep. that's out now, but the one that was before the interactive yeah. second time. And okay, and I think I've seen come some of the, like the old ones, but back when I was like we. Right, so relative okay. newcomer. Mm. Hey, I'm okay. a casual fan. I've watched uh, quite a few of the various TV shows, movies, dipped in and out here and there. Uh, mm. Um, yeah, I know my Ferengi's from my phasers, but uh, <laughs> I'm guessing you guys have got the, the superior knowledge when it comes to all things Trek. Oh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I, I make you two look like amateurs on that on that scale. No, no offence attended. Um, I think I myself look like an amateur, <laughs> so you're all right. <laughs> I've been watching Star Trek since I was about ten, uh, and I'm 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 horrified to be able to say that that was 27 years ago now. 26 years, cracky. I've, I 
I would give made myself even look older. Um, <laughs> I've watched all the films, watched the new ones. Um, I've got costumes. I go costuming, and basically, I've got, here. I've, I've even got some Star Trek graphics on my screen just now because that's what I do in my spare time to earn a little bit of coin. Cool. And my background with Star Trek is well, I don't have a memory of not knowing about Star Trek, so I've seen everything. Mm. Absolutely everything. Have you seen more the, than once? Have you seen Captain Kirkus climbing the mountain song? <laughs> I have. Yes. I've also seen the Picard song and signed a petition to get it to Christmas number one. <laughs> that it's a good song. I actually enjoyed Unfortunately, it. it didn't make it. No. Oh. There's also the uh, Captain Picard Frozen parody that's quite good. I have not heard that. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll put it in the show notes now that I've discussed it. So uh, that that will horrify and amaze in equal measure, I imagine. Oh yeah, the the, the look on my friend's face when I sh- played him the Captain Picard song the first time it was <laughs> it was like someone had just told him someone had run over his cat and then put uh, then tried to reinflate it and sell it on. Wow, that's that's extreme. It, yeah, honestly, it it was a oh he did not like it. <laughs> How can you not like it? It's, I, it's great. I think it's quite funny. Uh, it, yeah. it, there was a lot of a lot of work, work and love went into that. Finding all the episodes where all the where all his um, all the sound bites came from, and and, and then making it work with um, I think it's autotune he uses. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm just glad that there's people on the internet with more free time than I've got to do things like this. <laughs> because you know it entertains me. So. With the new Star Trek films, the J.J. Abrams ones, uh, Star Trek, open bracket, 2009, close bracket, and uh, Into Darkness, um, it's fair to say that they're designed for people that aren't so familiar with Star Trek. So, uh, um, I don't know if that's true. Um, well, the first one certainly is. Yeah, the first one definitely. That's what we're here to talk about just now. So uh, I guess we'll just start where it all began. So you've got the opening scene where the Kelvin gets attacked by... Um, Nero's giant big black death ship called uh, the Narada, and it's our first entry into this new universe. So, open to the floor with initial thoughts. Initial thoughts on what? The opening scene? Yep. Um, It's in deep space. (laughs) (laughs) Number Number nine! I I thought it was quite good. I, I enjoyed it. I liked the the approach of um, of the the camera zipping past the the Kelvin, and you, you're seeing very brief moments of the interior from outside, and then you see this ship, and it, it looks quite good, and then you see this big massive one, and then you're like, uh, th- that's huge. Uh, they're not going to come out with this very well. I, ju- I, yeah. I, I just thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was nice, spectacular. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, Star Trek's always well known for being pretty low budget, made with airfix kits and mm. you know cardboard sets and stuff. So to see this kind of uh, top drawer CGI, um, well rendered ship uh, in the first few seconds, kind of it kind of said that they were taking the the concept seriously and mm. trying to modernize it and, and different, make it a little bit different and you know look a bit stylish. I mean, the lens flares I can do without. Yeah. And they come pretty early on as well. But, yeah, the Kelvin looks great. And I like the effect of the whistling bridge um, playing over the, the intro as well. 
What did you yeah. guys think of the look of Nero's ship in terms of how, uh, how that you know, Star Trek um, canon? I, I can't tell where anything is supposed to be on it. So yeah, it, it, that's. A, I, I, I first until until I read up on it. Uh, well, obviously, in um, much later, I didn't realize it was supposed to actually be a, a, a Romulan mining ship. And it looks nothing like a Romulan ship at all. Okay, I got right. that the people on board were Romulan, but I thought he'd, ha- he'd somehow nicked it because he's some sort of uh, bad person who's really good at nicking stuff. I don't know what. Um, but I looked at it, and I'm like, what is that? It looks yeah, look- organic or kind of biomechanical or something, a bit like a Reaper from Mass Effect, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Nero does say later on it was a simple mining vessel, but there's nothing simple about it. No, <laughs> I've I've heard I read somewhere I, I can't remember where uh, that apparently it was he would used some sort of Borg technology which would be make it biomechanical. Um, it was the tie-in prequel comic that you know you need to read apparently to uh, understand the villain's motivation. Yeah, all right, all right, fair enough. <laughs> you know, before before you watch this film, read this comic because we can't be bothered telling you in a film. Fair enough. I mean, they did have some sort of story in the film as well, but they cut it out for uh, for length reasons or something like that. Yeah. Which is, which is why his uh, you'll find uh, we'll just probably discuss this later. Which is why his uh, it's his right ear, I think it is. The top of the ear just disappears between when you last see him and when you see him next. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a whole cut sequence involving the Klingons and stuff that you just don't see. So mm-hmm. it just looks like he's sitting on his hands for 25 years later on. That's right. Who's Spock? Nero. Uh, Nero. Nero. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, if, if, if you pay attention uh, later, um, what is it? What, uh, halfway through the film, at least half uh, past halfway, Nero is sporting a, um, a, a, a gammy right ear and some some scars on his on the uh, on the right side of his uh, of his temple. Uh, apparently, that was in some sort of a fight with uh, with a Klingon mm-hmm. in, in a prison. But yeah. nothing's ever made of it. Well, no. well it, it's not in the film, so you know. <laughs> it sort of shows us that there's been some sort of drama. We're not privy to it, but you know, we don't need to be. We can just know that that's I mean, happened. The film works without the without it. It would just would have been nice to have it in there as well to explain why half of the ears are gone. Yeah, because this, I mean, this film is about the the Enterprise crew getting together, mm. which makes the villain almost. Secondary, you know, because, I mean, if you look at a lot of these films, action films, they tend to be about the villain. Mm. So having it about your main characters is a is a better choice, I think. I don't think it's necessary to know what he's been up to. Like, I don't think it's necessary. I think leaving a little to a viewer's imagination is good. Fair enough. That's a good, yeah. good point. Good point, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, after we see the ship, uh, we're introduced to the first captain we ever see in these films, Captain Robow played by Farhan Tahir, um, I believe his name is. And, you know, in Star Trek, whenever you see other captains or admirals, they're usually useless, because it makes Kirk or Picard or whoever look a lot better. But this guy seems to know what he's doing. He wanders on the bridge, he barks orders, and takes charge. Yeah, I, I actually liked uh, Captain Robo. I liked how he, um, he was very decisive, um... He didn't hum and ha about it all. He, he saw his ship was in jeopardy. Um, he was massively outclassed. Uh, we see 
we see people getting sucked out into space and everything. That was cool. Uh, not for them, obviously. Um, and um, he's obviously he's he's, be, he's given a lifeline and he takes it without flinching. No, no, no conferring, no nothing. So like, right, I'm going over there, and if I can if I can delay him uh, b- battering uh, the heck out of my ship, I will. That's what yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to do. I watched this two days ago, and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to uh, in um, in a lot of Star Trek episodes, um, a lot of Star Trek episodes and films. The captain is faced with some sort of quandary, some sort of decision, and he hums and haws about it a little. Even even Kirk and Picard, they they, they weigh their options. Guys, are we talking about Kirk's dad? No, are we talking no, about? Uh, not not quite yet. He'll be here soon. The, oh, um, the bit before that, the guy who get yeah. guy who gets killed by Nero. Spoilers. Um, Right, he go, okay. You know, he goes over on that shuttle and he, he gets questioned by Nero, and he says, "Do you know who this guy uh, is?" And he uh, and he doesn't know who he t- who he is, and he tells him uh, what year it is, and then he then Nero kills him in in rage. Oh, that, yeah. That's Captain Robo. Right. Really? Oh well, obviously he didn't leave a lasting impression on me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although before the film came out, he became a Chuck Norris style internet meme. Yeah. Which was weird, you know. There was things going around like uh, shields aren't to keep the enemy out; it's to keep Robo in. Things like that. Was this based was, entirely on the trailer? Uh, I don't think he was even in the trailer. <laughs> I think it was just based on the fact that they kept saying there'd be another competent starship captain in the film. Mm. Yeah, so he became a Chuck Norris style meme, and has about I don't know four or five minutes of screen time before he's Why did decisively like murdered. When he went over to Nero. They were, they were um, monitoring his, his vital signs, and when it flashed yeah. up on the screen that he'd been that he'd been killed, it came up terminated. Yeah, yeah, that's well, pretty harsh on, yeah, harsh on Starfleet's part. But that is even a, an option in their computer <laughs> that when they're monitoring their crew, terminated is a possibility. It's, it's a rather it's a rather cold description, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think basically that was obviously uh, short ter- shorthand for life signs terminated. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it it, it did strike, strike me as a little cold. But then deceased would have I don't know it would have seemed in that yeah. situation probably would have seen it just a little bit too soft. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and um, maybe I'm you know. You can tell Robo's a badass. He has Thor as his first officer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Long before Thor was Thor. Maybe that's well, why you that started paying attention at that point, Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> um, he's a he's a lot he's a bit smaller than he is as Thor. Honestly, really. I did think it was like his brother or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which Hemsworth is it? He does have, he does have an actor brother. Yes. He's two. Is he? Oh. Yeah, I'm learning. Uh, Liam and Luke. Oh, I'm learning. Luke's a bit older. Yeah, but nobody cares about Luke, so. I'm learning okay. now. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's funny to look back and think that you know that was his probably his first big, big role, or first big film. I mean, it's not a big role; it's quite a small role. Yeah. It's, it's it's also quite a small <laughs> role, but. That's a small role. What was that? Captain of the Enterprise. Is that a small role? Uh, well, he's captain of the Kelvin for twelve minutes. Yeah. No, yeah, sorry. yeah. Oops, sorry, wrong ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's same 
Oh, oh, actually, I, I was about to be... Uh, I'll be controversial and say same universe. I don't know if that's <laughs> controversial or not. Well. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, Wasn't Thor acquits, acquits himself quite well. You know, he takes charge and knows what he's doing and makes sure his wife and newly born child make it off safely. Yeah. And I, I really liked him. I actually really like that, that whole sequence because it keeps the focus... Even though the action's happening, like you've got this the silence mm. of the of the birth happening while um you know all this carnage is going on around it, yeah. and it kind of makes the um it, it it makes it grounds the action because you know that there's more personal stakes involved. I liked how they also um, stayed true to the to the um, to his character as well because. Um, Kirk um, later uh, in, in the original series uh, is uh, sort of at some point he says that um, he looked up to his father because his father was a great commander and um, uh, made him proud and he George was very um, is it George Kirk George yes yeah. he he did his duty and uh, they, they didn't change that part of his character at all because. Obviously, that's before things uh, change and go all awry in the, in, in the universe. Uh, so I liked how they kept George Kirk as he is supposed to be. Yeah, I've kind of felt I wanted to see a bit more of him, but I suppose that means they did their job. Maybe they'll do a prequel. Maybe. No, no more prequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works out quite well, the two kind of divergent uh, storylines to give... Uh, Kirk the Younger, his uh, his motivation to be like his father, I suppose. Yeah, well, it, it informs him his character later. You know, the whole self sacrifice thing and and uh, having something to live up to as well. Yeah, having something absent to live up to as opposed to something that's there. Yeah, one 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 thing I hear a lot of people um, that don't like about the new films is the way that Kirk is just basically a bit of a dick at first. <laughs> Basically, yeah. that's because I just at first. Well, well, mostly throughout throughout the actual film, actually. <laughs> but um, I I say that's because he hasn't had his father to um, to look toward to go. I want to be like him. He's got um, now. Apparently, this is explained off off screen. Wait, so, wait, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Let me stop you. So, are you saying that people who don't have father figures? No, no, no. Women, or considering, nope. I'm just saying because there's that scene where he's got he's in the bed, and so he can't make decisions because he's not had a father in his life. No, 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 no. His mother went with uh, someone else who didn't like him. Apparently, this is explained somewhere else. I can't remember where, but I, I remember reading it. That um, is, remember how you see the small uh, young Kirk in that car? I mean, yeah, and t- and the phone call. Yeah, the bucktooth brat Kirk. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the, pers- really the person shouting down it, shouting down the phone line after him is the abusive or semi semi abusive uh, partner of his mother, who okay. doesn't, oh doesn't like like, doesn't like Kirk. It apparently, it's explained in a in a scene just before that, which was cut. Yeah, I mean, do we really believe that the partner of somebody who was a captain for Star Trek people is going to go with a sh- guy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really believe that. How can you go from somebody so obviously noble as the self-sacrificing captain who goes down with a ship? It's traumatic. To like this other person. No, that's a good don't, really, don't, really, don't really get that. 
That is that is a good point. That's and good point. I also don't get that you're saying that without a father figure, that he would grow up to be a bit of a dick. When do you not think that if you had a dick of a role model in that guy, do you try and be anything but him? I would definitely try to be, but some people let let that uh, consume them. Some people they they, they show rebellion, re- rebellion because they don't like they don't like this this person who's. Um, they don't like the person who's uh, uh, being authoritative over them and not giving them any leeway and not not giving them any praise or anything like that. And, I mean, we, it's at the end of the day, it's, psych, it's psycho babble. It's not because it's not because he didn't have a father figure, because he did eventually with his mother's partner, but it wasn't the same guy as George Kirk was. So he it didn't inspire him the same way. That's what I was trying to say. I guess. The, the the idea is that George would have raised him where this guy tolerated him. Maybe I think you know. that's basically where they were going. Yeah. Which is why he, this this Kirk is a different Kirk to what we know from the original series, noble and thought, thoughtful and um, and apparently very good in the academy. Um, joined the academy early and su- such like, and was one of the young, youngest cap- captains in Starfleet and all this and all that. Um, this Kirk that we see in the new films is a different Kirk at the end of the day. And I think they, they explained it because of his da- father dying. He didn't have that... He had a different role model this time. He didn't have that one particular role model that he really looked up to. Mm, yeah. That's still really table you having, imagine, a role model, but let's move on to something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it um, is part of his, uh, Kirk's history that his dad was a role model. When, without that, that father figure, that role model... As, he, as we know him to have been, he obviously the character just went awry. Yeah, he does things like uh, drive cars off cliffs for no reason. Steals the car in the first place. Yeah, but you yeah. can't hold him accountable for something that he's done as the young Kirk who must have been what eight or nine, whatever years old. You can't <laughs> then use that as like the main thing that. for like the rest of the movie or his character. There's years before you then. Oh yeah. The academy stuff. Absolutely. I don't know. I would. I would hold him. I would hold him driving a car off a cliff knowingly to be against him. I think that's pretty. And, and he goes into that bar. Some pretty stupid behaviour. He goes into that bar and willingly starts a fight. So he's a, yeah. he's a bit of he's a bit of a, a loner. I think uh, at that point. Yeah, why you do? He's a total why do. Well, it informs yeah. us some aspect of, of you know reckless nature. Maybe uh, that's exhibited later on. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. Maybe maybe he's always had that, but um, his uh, original father in the original timeline tempered that and moulded him into a Starfleet, a proper Starfleet cadet. He hasn't had that in this one, which is why he goes off the rails until someone basically dares him to to do better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the um, with the car scene, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I do like that all 20th century music isn't actually destroyed, as seems to be implied in later versions of. Just, Star Trek. just really into <laughs> classical music. <laughs> yeah, everyone is. No one <laughs> listens to anything later than the 1800s or something. I think, I think they were trying to, in the original series and everything, they're all trying to say that people were cerebral and whatnot. Or it was public record and they didn't have to pay for it. I, <laughs> I mean, there's just, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Not that I like the Beastie Boys, so. Oh, I think they're alright. And you get, um, you get, you do get some Roy Orbison in there. Star Trek First Contact. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I'm drawing a blank. It's a... 
when the Phoenix launches, I think. That's, I thought that was, um, oh. It's either that or Steppenwolf. It's Steppen, that's elements. Steppenwolf, yeah. the magic carpet ride, that's it. Yeah, but there is some Roy Orbison in there as well. I think it might be on Cochrane's jukebox or something. It's po- hey, it's a puzzle. Maybe, maybe that's who's singing Ooby Dooby. Yeah, it could be. But yeah, it's, it's it's good to hear some music that isn't, you know, Vivaldi or, or someone else. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit more something that you can you, you can draw a link to. Well, yeah. I think that was the point. Did yes. Data ever yeah. listen to pop music? Also, Shatner struggles to say the word sabotage, and that's the song they use. <laughs> <laughs> Abrams claimed it wasn't intentional, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, if you can find on YouTube Shatner saying sabotage, it's quite funny. I will be Googling it straight <laughs> So, after this point, we meet Spock as a child, and he's at school learning so things. <laughs> Yeah, um, it does. It's almost a higher budget version of the scene from Star Trek Four, where he talks to a little crappy computer that, that tests him. Whereas here he's in a, I don't know, a skate park that, that yeah. has some so those uh, holograms on it. Little ladders to climb out again, because when he puts <laughs> the guy in, or when they, you know, tumble into it, I don't know how they're supposed to get back out. Yeah, it's, there's no real dignity in walking out of that. Is there? <laughs> Apparently in a cutscene you see one of the sides collapses and it's a door. Uh, oh. I think I remember see- I remember seeing something like that. Um, I can't remember if it was a cutscene or if it was um, um, concept art or something like that. But I do remember there was there was, there was a way to get in and out. Um, it's just that... Also, um, it's true, and it's in space, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Actually, it was on a planet. To be- yeah, they're, they're on Vulcan. Yeah, in space. <laughs> Earth is in space. I know when it blows my mind. <laughs> Earth is in space, technically. Are you are you floating around your room? I'm just I'm floating in space, guys. Like seriously, I had to Google yesterday about like pre what is it? Pre something period, like the origins of like everything, and it was mental. Freudian something? What is it? Craig. I have no idea what you're talking Craig, about. Craig, you'll know this. What is it? Um, I don't know. First period of like all the distance. The only thing I, re- I, I th- that comes to mind is pre-Cambrian, but I think that's that's, that's not. That's it. That's not there, there, there is something before then as well. I can't remember though. There's all sorts of uh, names for prehistory. That's the but, bit for when the sun started forming or something like that. Hmm. I don't know. Science. That's what I was doing yesterday, looking at that. But yeah. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love reading about that stuff. It's it's fascinating. It's mental. <laughs> also mental, mentally fascinating. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm just like what. You ponder the mysteries of the universe, and I wonder how Spock gets out of a swimming pool. I know. <laughs> 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 so yeah. Um, it's established that he doesn't fit into Balkan society because he gets bullied in a very scientific way by his, well, I guess older kids. They seem slightly older than he is. Yeah. Or maybe he's just short. Maybe being half human makes him short. Yeah. But yeah, the um, but yeah, the, the way they bully him, you know, they're, they they treat it as if it's an experiment and and see how they react. It's kind of like they're. They're teasing an animal or something like that. Yeah, but we need that scene because it informs later ones. 
yeah, no, well, I mean, it informs later in that very scene, you know, where um, it follows him to adulthood and he's not accepted, um, or he's accepted in spite of his human heritage and, uh, you know, they say, despite your disadvantage, and he re- he reacts with a, a giant middle finger and turns down their offer. I did like that. <laughs> I, I did like that. I'm like... <laughs> it's, just, it's the way he says live long and prosper it's like yeah. it's, it's it's him saying up yours you you, <laughs> you jumped up uh, people I'm I'm, I'm yeah. going to go my own way and uh, he gives them the the, the Siler look at that point as well um, Zachary Quinto played Siler in Heroes uh, back when it was good and uh, he had a look in his eye that, that always said he was going to kill someone pretty soon and he had that look <laughs> I can't look at him the same way after watching American Horror Story. Oh, he's in that? I didn't know. Oh, oh my god, you should watch it. Should Is he a bloodthirsty killer? Um, watch it. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> you guys might be able to answer this. The way that they, the way that the, the Vultans treat him, is that mm-hmm. in any way indicative of their culture to be condes- condescending to uh, other races? Um, yes and no. I, I suppose not on the surface. You know, they wouldn't like to admit to it, but they, that scene is heavily borrowed from an animated series episode where the same thing happens. Okay. Almost with the same dialogue, actually. I'm just wondering, because, I mean, maybe it's only because it's within a Vulcan ceremony that they're willing to sort of um, behave that way, but I don't know if they're if they're like that outwardly to other species. Yeah, well, in, in the original series, uh, Sarek had a bit of a strained... Um, relationship with Spock strained, I would say. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. They didn't um, talk for years, and and they didn't get along. He didn't like that Spock uh, uh, joined Starfleet, if I recall correctly. Yeah, although this Sarek doesn't seem to mind. He sees it as a logical progression, I suppose. I, 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 yeah. I think this. Uh, it also borrows a little bit on um, um, in Enterprise. Uh, uh, we see uh, the the Vulcans as a being bit a bit of a jackass race, they're, they're kind of trumped up and arrogant, and they think humans are beneath them um, quite yeah. a lot. So it's kind of using a little bit of that, um, but um, slightly less obvious. Well, not really less obvious at all, actually, okay. if you think about it. I also get the impression that Spock's an overachiever in this scene. You know, he, he feels like he has to do better than everyone else because. Because he is looked down on in society. Yeah, that could be actually a reasonable explanation as uh, as to why he excels so well. Yeah, he, he, he tries to show up his um, his aggressors by doing better than them. Yeah. Or or you don't think that being half human, half Vulcan is actually better? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Vulcans are. I think it's just different, not better. As such. The, the, the Vulcans are historically. And who comes um, the best? Sorry. How come he's the best then? I don't see any other Vulcan doing him. Well, um. well, he was he was the main character in in, in the original series, and uh, he was the only only uh, Vulcan that we really saw uh, of a, a great deal of. Uh, but yes. uh, in, in 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 script and in dialogue, you hear of a, an entire ship crewed by Vulcans in the original series. What I'm saying is, they're not considered the best, though he is. Yeah, I suppose they're generally accepted as being 
uh, intellectual they're, spot. They're, 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 they're the, um, what did I hear? What did I read? They're the Federation's brain boxes. Yes. That's what I was. Um, that's what I heard them uh, um, described as once. Uh, they are very, very clever and very logical in their thinking, obviously, uh, which le- leads them to a clarity of thought, so that they can think better. Basically, uh, that's what. But they're um, them holding to their logic is also a, a failing as well, because they, c- they can sometimes they can't adapt to a situation, whereas that's where the humans. Um, um, are better at. Do you think that Vulcans are actually like a um, what's the word like a a character for what am I thinking of? So like when you'd be like a met is it like a metaphor for autistic mm-hmm. people? Um, could be. I've never thought of it like that. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, Star Trek species have always had they've always kind of amplified traits of yeah. Obviously, since it's humans writing it, you know, the Klingons amplify aggression, the Romulans amplify paranoia, and so on. So the Vulcans could be, I guess, uh, somewhat autistic. They're they're so they're they're so OCD. They're CDO. <laughs> so yeah, um, I never thought of that before. I wonder if that'll be a, a new insight in the. That's an interesting the Star Trek community. I don't want it to be taken as like a bad thing because I know that there's like a broad spectrum of autistic people. But you just, yeah, well, the, the whole the, they are very high functioning. That's for sure. High functioning and that level of um, removal from emotion. You know, like yeah. there seems to be a distance there, and you know, watching it, I just thought, whoa, he's a little bit like that guy I read about in a book. Plus, it's a it's a conscious thing that they're you know pushing aside feelings. Mm. It's not just something they can do. It's you know they have to practice at it, and the fact that they're driven to do that, yeah, it's something they study a long time for. They actually there's a I can't remember between what age ranges, but at some point the Vulcans they go off into the wilderness and self-study and um, become them you know be one with themselves as it were for a while, and they can only come back when they've attained logic. I think that's what they call it, or something like that. What is it? Colinar. That's it. It's mentioned in this film as well. He's thinking about doing it and asks his mum if it's going to be okay with her. Which is, you know, very human. What is she saying? She says, do what you want, essentially. Oh, so she doesn't care either. Well, she <laughs> says, no matter what, no matter what, you will have a proud mother. Yeah, so. she does what a mother, a mother really should do. She lets him make yeah. his decision. Good old Winona. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, when she's not shoplifting, she's stolen her <laughs> advice. <laughs> I knew someone would bring that up. Well, someone had to. Yeah. No, don't. And she didn't follow her. <laughs> Wasn't she? Ha- didn't have some sort of problems at the time. I don't know. I don't know huh. anything about it. I just know she was caught shoplifting. I mean, someone. She definitely had money in the bag, so it wasn't destitution yeah. or anything. I think it was yeah. some sort That's of. Easy. They always depict the people who like to steal are the ones that have money. It's never for. <laughs> Not being able to afford things, they're not Aladdin. Oh, yo, yo. <laughs> indeed. Uh, I, I think she had some sort of psycholo- psychological issues at the time, which made her impulsively do things, and one of them was steal. I think I remember reading something like that. And in this I, I film, she has like a. And in this son, she has a. In this film, she has a son that's only like three years younger than her. Or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's, 
Vulcans like to start them young. <laughs> well, I mean, the actors are I know. separated by a couple of years. But, yeah. but they age are awesome. Yeah, they do, for some reason. This collection of scenes it's, uh, establishes Spock's relationship with his father, with his mother, with his people, and um, gives us the reason that he decides to bugger off and join Starfleet. Mm-hmm. It's basically to, as a, I'll show you, sort of gesture, which is, again, very human. Definitely. I agree. So, yeah. It's, um, so it's a good introduction to Spock, I think. I think Quinto does a really good job uh, in the role. He looks like Leonard Nimoy. Scarily, scarily so. so. I was about to say that. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so ideal casting, really. I think they were very clever with our casting, actually. Uh, I, I think uh, when you look at it uh, as a whole, they've actually gone down to a T. Uh, I mean, Carl Urban as McCoy just works. Yeah. I mean, when you see him, when you see him in that shuttle, and all he's doing is moaning, that's McCoy. <laughs> yep. It just is. And I, I like how they retconned why they call why Kirk calls him Bones. Yeah. yeah. Well, get to that soon, but yeah, I have issues with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so next we get to the uh, the cantina scene, um, because you know J.J. Abrams loves the Star Wars, and if you look at the structure of this film, it's very like and you hope. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, that's a good good spot. Yeah, so, so we get the cantina where Uhura shows up and she orders some drinks <laughs> and then and then Kirk shows up and comes on to her. Uh with you know, I mean I'm no expert in flirting or anything like that, but it, it does seem like he's not very good at it. He's full of himself. He thinks he doesn't need to do much. Yeah. He thinks he thinks just just smiling at her is going to win her over. I think that's what it is. He's 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 a, he's a little bit 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 of bravado, bit of arrogance in there. Yeah. Is there everyone else does Kirk have game or doesn't he? Uh, he's probably asked his father about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say no, as evidenced by <laughs> how he gets on. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't think that seems just about Kirk. When it's not about whether he's capable of chatting up ladies or blah blah. I think it's showing the woman as being somebody who doesn't have to respond to somebody annoying her in a bar. Definitely. No, they definitely. And, and Uhura's. You know, she was. She answered the phones in the original series, basically. So this is established. Establishes her as someone That's who's like a, a promotion. Someone who's strong-willed and. Um, you know, knows what she wants and knows what she doesn't want, more importantly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Definitely a strong character in this one. Yeah, and Zoe Saldana's really good. She kind of brings a, a character that didn't have much life in the series mm. to life. Yeah, the, the older who are... They, well, in the original series, they were bound by 1960s America, so they could only do us so much within good taste without getting completely banned off the air. You know, so... Uh, so yeah, it was. It, they were the, one of the first to have a an African uh, African American wo- woman as part of the main cast. I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, if not the first. If yeah. not the first, and um, so that was a pretty uh, major step forward. But they couldn't really push it too far. I remember the one of the reasons why they changed um, the first officer from Majel Barrett to uh, Leonard Nimoy was because the people didn't like the fact that 
of a uh, didn't, didn't like a woman being in a top command structure, a uh, top command that's, post at the time. That's too late, Major. That's too late, Major. 1960s sensibility. You wouldn't think twice about it these days. I mean, we've had Captain Janeway. Um, yes. You know, in, uh, that would have been unthought of in the 60s. There were even even if the um, even as Gene Roddenberry was trying to portray a, a more equal future for everybody, he still was confined to 1960s sensibility, and he was pushing the boat, having uh, an African American woman on the bridge. Yeah. So, uh, 35 years later, or whatever, you've got this version of Ahura, who's uh, she's got sass. Yeah, I like 35. it. Uh, I think it's a bit more than that. Like yeah. <laughs> it's fifty. It's fifty this year. Not when this film came. So no. I don't know. Forty. Forty-five. Fifty. Fifty years this year. Absolutely outrageous. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. So, um, so you meet Kirk, or you meet the Kirk that we're going to follow for the film, and you meet Uhura, and um, and he's kind of directionless. He's drunk in a bar. He's hitting on cadets. He doesn't. Have any other plans? It seems mm. he's just out for to get as, have a good, as good a time as possible, I suppose, or maybe intentionally out there looking for some sort of ruckus. Yeah, it could be t- could be played either way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he starts the fight. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he gets in a fight and uh, loses quite spectacularly. Yeah, he takes quite a beating. <laughs> he does. I, I, I do like the. I, I do like uh, where he pl- pats the guy on the, on the shoulder and says, "No, so get some other, uh, some more guys, and it will be a fair fight." Yeah. <laughs> then they, they then they hand his uh, ass to him. It's quite funny. Of course, they, the only reason he doesn't win is because he doesn't hold up his two hands and uh, <laughs> club people with them. That's that's what he's missing out on. Well, there's also a bit where he uh, stumbles in. He stumbles into a hura and. Um, <laughs> Cops a feel and uh, laugh and kind of gives her a grin. I thought that was quite funny. I yes. don't think that sexual harassment is funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither did she. No, she, no, um... neither did she. <laughs> yeah, she. She sent him back to get his ass kicked. Yeah. You can't say that that's a funny part in a movie because I don't think that we should be thinking of sexual harassment being like some sort of laughing master. I mean, how often do you go out into a club and you get felt up by a creepy old guy? All the time. All the time? All the time. All the time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the legs. It's the legs. It's the, situ- the situation. The, 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 the look on his face is what makes me laugh. Because he kind of goes, <laughs> kind of look. And then, yeah, then, then, gets, then gets his ass truly handed to him uh, so I think I think it's kind of equaled out by the fact that he's he's getting um, seven shades of um, doo-doo getting kicked out of him don't think you can see that that equals it but <laughs> in the situ- for a situation comedy yeah anyway um, it's it's Captain Obi-Wan Pike that, that breaks up the fight oh yeah oh, Kirk's in desperate need of a mentor and here comes Pike here comes played by Bruce Greenwood, who's he's awesome in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's he's, he's an awesome actor. It doesn't get doesn't get as much screen time uh, as uh, I wish he would. I think. No, no. Plays I'd watch. I'd watch a Captain Pike film. I think. Oh yeah, definitely, without a doubt. He's a very good Captain Pike. Um. Well, yeah. I liked him. It's- 
Oh, yeah, he died, didn't he? Like, oh, yeah. I liked, yeah, he was alright. Spoilers for the next film, but yeah. Yeah, spoilers! <laughs> but does he not die in, like, another universe, in another time, in another place? Uh, in the original series, he, what was it, he gets some sort of dose of radiation or something, and he's confined to a yeah. chair. And all he's in a wheel, he's in a chair that he can only say yes or no. That's pretty For some reason. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he is a captain of a ship. Something goes a bit wrong, uh, and he ends up in a in a in this powered wheelchair with one little light on the front, which goes boop or boop boop. <laughs> so yeah, um, apparently they forgot about Stephen Hawking's chair in the twenty third century. Yeah. Yeah, he also dies in the next film, but in this film he's he's very much alive. Very and, much. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, he's very much alive. He's he's standing and he's whistling loudly. Yeah, and he um he gives Kirk a bit of a kick in the arse in this scene. Mm. Uh, berates him for being for wasting all this potential he apparently has. Yeah, is it, is it intimated that he's been watching Kirk for some time? Well, he talks about his test scores and stuff. Yeah, mm. but he was um he was obsessed with, with the Kelvin because he was studying it at the academy. So yes, and thereby extension. Um, obviously, if you, knowing from uh, if you study a, a certain subject, you then uh, if it's something like that, you then get to read a bit of survivors, and obviously you took some sort of um, interest in Kirk. Yeah, because you know after I read about uh, historical disasters, the first thing I do is look up the survivors' children. <laughs> <laughs> so he was an opportunist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah, but but he thought like, he clearly thought that. George Kirk's kid would have uh, some potential. But he clearly skipped his brother, which is weird. Yeah, that's that's the guy you see him driving past uh, in the car scene. Yeah, his older brother. He has a stepbrother, I think, they've made him in, the, in this film. Uh, the, I don't think it's cleared up either way. I think it's just... Yeah, I, th- I think in the, in the deleted scene, it's made... It's, it's, the, way, the reason why that that lad is on the road is that he's leaving home because he's fed up of the the father. Again, mm-hmm. this goes back to um, what I was saying earlier. And uh, his name's Johnny, which is why he shouts for Johnny and Johnny looks a bit bewildered because he's... That's... that's that's um, Because he, cause his name's Sam and he's not sure why. Yeah, yeah indeed. <laughs> Never really addressed, is it? You just have to assume that that's some local kid that, he's, that he knows somehow. Yeah... Um, in, 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 yeah, in, in the film as we know it, it's not addressed. No. No. His brother does appear as a as a corpse in the original series, but it's just Shatner wearing a fake mustache, playing the corpse. <laughs> I did not spot what? that. What? It's fantastic. How did I, what? How did I not do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That, that, that is so cheap and um, that is just so typical um, original series because. They had a shoestring budget. Yeah, we have William Shatner, we have a fake moustache, now lie on the floor. Yep. I wonder how many <laughs> other people wore that moustache as well. Probably got sold for a fortune at auction. Probably how he got the idea of wearing a toupee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after, um, after Kirk's beaten and he gets his dressing down, and as you were saying earlier, he gets dared to enlist in Starfleet um, to, you know, to prove that he's not just a colossal screw-up. And he does. 
And he does. He gets on a shuttle with no paperwork. <laughs> um, gives away his bike to some guy. Yep. Here, and, there you go. Uh, yeah. So that's how easy it is to join Starfleet, to show up and get on a shuttle. <laughs> and no one will question you whatsoever. Yeah, I have... I, I did call uh, BS on that. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, there would be some, and especially because it's it's um, it, it is literally the ne- the next morning, so um, it, it it can't be days later, so, uh, and they've just skipped the part where he goes and signs his uh, signs on a dotted line. It is the next morning because that's what Pike says. Shuttle leaves at yeah. 0800, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's lit- the the next one. So he couldn't have been anywhere. He's gone, come straight from that cantina to there, basically. Yeah. People yeah. do that quite a lot in these films, though. They just kind of show up and then uh, aren't questioned when they <laughs> when they turn <laughs> up on a ship or a shuttle. And yeah. Oh yeah, come along for the ride. What, what are you doing here? Script says I should be. All right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. On you. Yeah, we need some plot progression. Yep. On yeah, you. But you know. To be fair, um, the scene of Kirk filling out his application form is not anything I ever want to see. <laughs> not in the deleted scenes. <laughs> if, 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 if they had showed that it's a couple of weeks later, for example, it, you could then just infer, okay, he's gone through the process. Uh, or Pike was right there. All the, all, you know, he could have just been like, let him on. Y- yeah, indeed. Well, Pike does re- eventually turn up. He's yeah. on the same. He's on the. Sh- uh, he's on the same shuttle. So um, it could be inferred that. Um, Pike said, "Look, if this kid turns up with a busted nose, let him on." Yeah, maybe it's just of another course. example of his impulsive nature. Some old guy in a bar tells you to do something <laughs> <laughs> the next morning. Yeah, doing it. Yeah, but some old guy tells you you need to live up uh, or better what your father did. Uh, yeah. That's. That, I think old Kirk would have done it probably exactly the same if someone had challenged him the same way. He probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, he might have filled out his application form. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it shows that he's reckless and, and all that stuff. And you know, he's he's really hungover. He's driving while hungover, and uh, look, he's driving drunk. Yeah, and getting on a, a shuttle. So once he sobers up, he's going to be like, "Why am I here? What, what did I do?" Yeah. Um. Also, in this scene, we see the Enterprise being built on Earth for some reason. Mm. This is a massive point of contention uh, for quite a lot of my friends, and I'm like, yeah, well, it kind of makes sense because um, you could, uh, we we have ships in, in uh, we have seen uh, there is precedent of ships being built uh, on planets, or at least components being built and then later sent up into orbit, tractor beams and the, obviously the, the 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 engines of the of the time are far more powerful than what we know today. It just seems a bit wasteful to it does. You know, have to drag the tons of starship out of the, the atmosphere. It does. Uh, I mean, being I, I, I have no idea why they decided to do that. Uh, other it's other so that than Kirk could look at it. Other than yeah, it. other than the visual spectacular and making Kirk go look at it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but hey, if we meet McCoy in this scene. Mm. How cool is that? Very cool. I I, I like him. I know you do, you have problems with the scene, but um, I kind of find it funny. I, no, I don't have a problem with the scene. I just, um, you know, I have problems with the fact that Kirk picks a nickname that reminds him of his clearly traumatic divorce. Mm, yeah. I, I think he's... I don't know if it's more traumatic as uh, just annoying him. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's... Um, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I mean... It, um, 
I remember my dad's uh, stories uh, from his time in the army. Uh, nicknames aren't always from something that made everybody laugh or made the person who's, whose nickname it is now is uh, uh, laugh or smile. It's sometimes it's just a situational thing. They say mm. something at some point and that kind of sticks in the mind of whoever they're talking to. And that's basically what happened here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's just, you know, he says all of that left is my bones, and it's like, I'm just going to call him this. <laughs> it might hurt him for a little bit the first couple of years, but then once once he's used to it, you know, he'll never remember. Yeah. <laughs> he'll just be like, <laughs> accepting he's doc- it. He's a doctor. McCoy's never happy anyway. No, he's a doctor, not a database. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah I, I do think that DeForest Kelly... Um, uh, possesses Carl Urban whenever he's playing the guy because it's such an eerie performance. It, it is. He's even got the the hand um, raised to the chin um, yeah. thing down. The only thing he's not doing is wearing that pinky ring. <laughs> Although my um, a, a friend of mine suggested that he Carl Urban's too good looking to be Doctor McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> How important do you think it is that the actors in the in the new films? impersonate to some extent the the older actors I think it depends on the character I mean um, it, it would be a bit boring to watch someone do impressions for two hours but I think there has, there has to be something recognisable in there mm-hmm. agreed uh, it, it was this this was a, a nice way to bridge uh, old Trek with new Trek um, so the old the old audience uh, for the new audience give give the new audience uh, a new uh, a character a fresh character to look to enjoy, but give them give the old audience something to to, to smile at, going yeah that's that, that's McCoy or yeah that's that's Spock, so someone something recognisable. Yeah, they committed to an alternate reality rather than a straight reboot. So if they'd done a straight reboot, they could have done anything, done anything they wanted. Yeah. But they've all been I think that, <laughs> Well, it could have been. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, but so you know, I think I think there has to be something that makes them those characters just a. You know, with, with things playing out differently for some of them. And when it works, like with Spock and Bones, it works, I think. But then you end up with uh, Scotty. <laughs> Which we'll get to oh. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he appears. Yeah. Yeah. So, after this part, after we've met Bones and him and Kirk make fast friends because they, they happen to be sitting next to each other, um, we skip ahead three years. Mm. And we get to we see Nero with his busted ear waiting for Spock, um, and that's about it. And yeah, he's sitting on a ship waiting for Spock. Spock turns up, and we go back to the academy where Kirk is doing what he used to do best. Cheat. <laughs> well, womanizing. Oh, yeah, I was going to say. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a scene or two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually don't like that scene. It's got this strange juvenile fantasy thing about it. You know, you've got a couple of women sitting around their dorm room in their underwear, which, you know, I doubt happens in real life. Mm, I don't know. Uh, you, well, yeah, I, I'm, I was kind of uncomfortable with it as well. It's just... Okay, it makes sense for this, this Kirk, uh, but um, actually for the other Kirk, for the original as well. Um... I just don't think it was required. Yeah. And uh, Natalie, that scene will probably 
not sit right with you after the um, after the earlier comment about Ahura just you know not having to put up with loud mouths yeah. and bars. <laughs> oh, just his uh, appetite for the ladies. <laughs> I don't know, I suppose it's one of those things that they didn't shake off in the, the 60s ones or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kirk has always had, uh, he's always, he always got the girl. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's true, considering he doesn't get Spock's girlfriend. Oh no, I'm, to- <laughs> I'm, to- I'm talking about uh, original Kirk. Oh, okay. Yeah, this guy is not so successful. No. But yeah, it does have a plot reason as well. Here's Ahura talking about the destruction of Klingon ships and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I do strain to figure out how they how they would have act, uh, written otherwise him explain him overhearing that. So in that sense, it does make a bit of sense, but uh, I'm I'm still not comfortable with it. Yeah, they, and I didn't like the Kobayashi Maru scene either because um, I get what they were trying to do. They were, he was trying to make a point about. Uh, an unwinnable test being pointless mm-hmm. so he acts like it's a waste of his time you know he sits there and he makes a mockery of it but he just comes across as a jackass yeah which one the one when he's in the simulated like attack mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think he's making a mockery of it I think he's showing up that it's not unbeatable because he beats it beats it by yeah. cheating it by reprogramming it he doesn't yeah. reprogram it he doesn't he's using the technology that's available to the test and to the ship to produce a like a win situation, and isn't and, that the point? And then in the original uh, in the original timeline, he's actually he actually gets a commendation for original thinking for doing that. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Like he's thinking outside of the box, so it's not something that you would think that he should get criticised for. Indeed, but this. Well, and then I thought, the I thought that that whole bit was really weird. I was like, that seems really close-minded for for having been like in the future. <laughs> there's, an, there's an interesting short story about how uh, he passes the Kobayashi Maru that was written in. It's not canon or anything, but I wish it was. Basically, what happens is he reprograms it so that the, the Klingons respect him when he hails them. You know, And uh, when he's asked about it, he replies with, um, well, I will have that reputation one day. Nice. <laughs> and, he, and he will, you know, so... Um, yeah, the, the the old fable saying that the, the the Klingons didn't have a word for was it sorry or surrender until they met Kirk. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought the the whole test thing because I guess because it doesn't really pay off in any way. You know, he's not faced with a a no win situation late until well towards the end of the second film really. So you know, as a scene, it doesn't feel like it's necessary. Mm. Did they let him in there with that apple? <laughs> was it already in there? Yeah, <laughs> and if so, why? <laughs> that, that, that would have made me go, uh, "What's a cadet doing with an apple?" <laughs> and, and then the way the simulator just kind of semi shuts down, then comes back to life. That would have instantly made me go, "Right, hold the test, stop." <laughs> yeah. Because in in this day and age, um, if something that obvious goes wrong with the equipment, you stop. But they just yeah. let him c- continue without, and then they go, "How did he beat your test?" Well, the the clue was in the fact that all the lights switched on and off, and everything made funny noises and came back. <laughs> yeah, but it does let you meet. Uh, it does let him meet Spock when you know he's getting his dressing down and he's trying to defend himself, and 
um, Spock doesn't understand that you need to cheat sometimes to win, and uh, and they you know they don't get along at first, which I quite like. Mm, I do like that. Uh, did, did, there was, did we ever see anything like that in the original series or anything like that? Any no. any kind of no, they were mutual respect really all, all the way through, wasn't it? They were always just initially they were just kind of colleagues and didn't become friends until much later yeah. or until a little bit later. I mean, I know in, in in undiscovered country there's a little bit of a strained relationship between them because um, um, Spock volunteers Kirk and Co for uh, a mission which they yeah. didn't really want to go on, uh, but that, I think that's the only time that there's a there's there's a little bit of animosity between the two. Yeah, but you know it's just, it's good because it shows that there's tension uh, tension between them and. Uh, it's resolved largely, mm. eventually. Mostly, actually, well, yeah. At the end of the film, he's 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 volunteering himself for for, for EXO duties, so he's obviously uh, gotten over it. Yeah. So yeah, they. I think we've beaten the Kobayashi Maru to death. It's yeah. I think they could have cut this largely. Um, and, you know, you've also got Tyler Perry well, weirdly playing an admin. Um, I, I don't think they could have cut it because they were they they didn't they would then wouldn't uh, have been able to satisfactorily explain why he gets suspended and why he has that mm. dressing down. I think they needed that for for the dressing down scene. They couldn't have just skipped to the dressing down scene and and, and have had the Kobayashi Maru off screen. That I think that would maybe have cheated the the audience a little. Yeah. But then again, really? they didn't have to suspend him in the first place because he eventually turns up on the ship anyway. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's a little bit like uh, Indiana Jones and, uh, uh, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, if he did nothing, then it would have been all fine. Exactly. Vulcan is attacked after this point, um, and everyone has to mobilise because everyone, there's only cadets that are around and can help out. For some reason. A little bit of the extension of the Enterprise's almost always the only ship in the sector. Yeah. <laughs> is there any yeah. reason given for the for why it's cadets only? They say the primary fleet is engaged somewhere else. Laurentian mm. sector, something like that? Something like that. But yeah, the, um, but that's the only explanation. Apparently every other ship is off doing something else. Mm. And is it alluded to that Nero arranged that as well? Uh... I don't know if it's actually alluded to. I mean, he's only got one ship, so... So he's just taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, he's just attacking Vulcan, doesn't seem to care. I don't think he cares. He, he knows his uh, technology is, is light years ahead of um, of Starfleet. So, he, I mean, in in the scene before with uh, where Kirk overhears um, Uhura, he, he's, uh, he's... Nero has gone and destroyed uh, an entire fleet of Klingon uh, vessels, which are you know, those things are built for battle. So if you can beat mm-hmm. them and, and shrug them off without any visible damage to a ship, then Starfleet ships aren't going to pose much of a problem. So he's, he's, he's got a grudge against um, Spock and he's going to get his way no matter how he, no matter how, what. So even if the entire Starfleet was in an orbit of Vulcan, he probably still would have, would have, would have, probably still would have went in. Yeah, but he still needs... Starfleet security codes for later on for some reason. Yeah, to, to get I think it's to get closer to Earth or something like that without having yeah. too much of a problem. <laughs> it doesn't seem like he has too much of a problem. Already. No, that, that, that doesn't kind of tr- doesn't quite track. Don't understand why. 
Yeah, this seems really cool. It's the kind of first time that I can think of in Star Trek that you see kind of uh, people going about a, a pretty busy situation, you know, just trying to get things ready. You see forklift trucks and um, people running around and, and all this stuff. I do like the aesthetic of the, the new film where all the, all the shuttles are a little beaten up. Yeah. You know, they've, they've all got paint scratching, scratches and scuffs and they're dirty. And on that floor you see you see people running around between forklifts and, like you say, uh, just a very busy atmosphere, um, lots of things happening. Obviously people are in a rush. I, I, beforehand we've always been, you know, we, we've been um, treated to maybe three or four extra people in the background than normal to, yeah. to say, oh, something's happening. Um, mm. It was good to see quite a lot of people uh, shuffling about on screen. Is that JJ kind of showing his Star Wars fanboy side with this <laughs> scrambling to action? Yeah, it, it is in a way because in most of the films, you, uh, Star Wars films, you do actually see at some point them everybody going to their ships, mm-hmm. so, and, and a bit of a busy hangar deck scene. So yeah, yeah, actually that's quite true. That this is the this is the bit uh, from the original from uh, A New Hope, the or where they're on Yavin and they're all going to the X wings and Y wings. Mm-hmm. And then Ahura talks her way onto the Enterprise because uh, because of reasons she wants to be on the Enterprise. Because of reasons, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a big problem with that one. Yeah, uh, I'm on the Farragut. Yeah, yes, that's where you are. Uh, no, no. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's the exchange. Henpecked much? <laughs> <laughs> Although she does remind him of her exceptional oral sensitivity. <laughs> which is... What does that mean? <laughs> Just a bit dodgy, I think the old script, script writers were just struggling for something to say there. <laughs> and uh, and Kirk gets on because reasons again. But McCoy makes him ill for a few minutes so that we can have some laughs when they get aboard. Lentang. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite. It is a bit of funny. That is a bit of a bit of a funny one. But uh, it's it's. <sighs> I'm not quite happy with it. I know, I was, I was entertained, even though it's stupid. It's stupid, yeah. it's entertaining, it's funny, the way he keeps on pumping him stuff with, with more and more stuff and more mm-hmm. and more side effects. It's really, really funny. Um, yeah. But in, in, in reality, that wouldn't wash. <laughs> You've also got the, the whole thing where whenever Kirk first sees the Enterprise in space, he has lost vision in his left eye. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, you need to look at this. It's like I can't. You made me blind. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's on my right side, I'm good. <laughs> so yeah, when we see the Enterprise for the first time, I'm less than impressed. I don't like that design. No, I've, that's one thing. I mean, I can accept um, Kelvin Verse um, as an offshoot uh, of the original uh, timeline. Not a got a problem with that at all. I just don't like the aesthetics, and I. And I really, really do not like the scaling issues. They're they're trying to say this thing's about the size of a uh, of uh, a star destroyer, which would make each of those windows that we see something like four or five stories high, because mm. it's got the same roughly same kind of. If you look at it, it's got roughly the same kind of window layout as the original Enterprise from the original series, give or take. Um, mm. It's not like the Enterprise D where there's windows all over the thing. Um, so there's a smattering of windows about, um, and you can see that they've used the same 
design aesthetic for put for the window placement as the original series or the the the, mo- the original movies. Um, but now they're trying to tell us that yeah, there's there's only five windows on that side of the saucer, but yeah, that that saucer's about four or five decks high, six seven decks high. I'm like, yeah, pull the other one. <laughs> Yeah. Just don't like. What does everybody else, does everybody else think of the Enterprise when you, you first see it? I, I just don't think it looks as you know as good as previous versions have. It, I, I feel the same way about um, the Batmobile and in, in the Dark Knight and things. You know, it just doesn't. It's not as iconic, and it just doesn't uh, doesn't make you think the same things as the as the older ones did. Yeah, and the the Apple Store bridge is a bit <laughs> the eye bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like Apple products um, in the in the least. Uh, so seeing that bridge and it screaming, this is an Apple shop. <laughs> yeah. Although I, mean, I will say it does look like a modernization of the original series in, in the sense that mm. it's kind of an extrapolation of what it might look like in 300 years are the, or 200 are the, years. Are the see-through iPads based on anything from the from previous iterations? Uh, science fiction at the moment seems to like transparent screens, even though they wouldn't ever work. Uh-huh. No, no, yeah, trans- transparent screens would only work if you had something dark behind them. The second you put, yeah. introduce some sort of light or anything like that, you're struggling to see. I mean, it's okay for it's it's okay for uh, like a like a, a speedometer, where you only need to see a couple of numbers. But when mm. you need to see complex information, like what these guys would be presented with, it would ruin their eyesight. Because they're constantly squinting yeah. to uh, to figure it out. And what's with the barcode scanners? <laughs> do, do they do they have to scan lots of barcodes on the bridge? <laughs> but yeah, they've got um, yeah, the transparent tablets and all that. You know, it's common in even in the Marvel movies. Tony Stark has everything he has is see through. But those are so that's just more a kind of um, symptom of modern. Sci-fi than than being sort of a, a modernization of anything from older versions of Star Trek is that I think so. I think it's when in, in modern sci-fi you've got so many people that are holding up portable devices, mm-hmm. so they need to be see-through so you can see the actor's face. It's, 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 I think it's as simple as that. It's also it's shorthand for this is um, advanced. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. So um, I, I do. What, the one thing I do like about the bridge is that it's got a big, big massive window up front. Um, the original Enterprise originally had that in the first pilot, and the second pilot actually. Yeah, I didn't know that it actually. Had, yeah, it's got a window at the front that I guess doubles as a view screen. Because uh, I, I thought that was a quite a, quite a nice touch. It ma- makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, again, if you're trying to display information on it, then... It doesn't make so much sense, but then, we, in this day and age, we have glass that can, by a flick of a switch, can go opaque, but you can, mm. still, you can still display information for it on it, because the information um, layer is in front of the opaque layer. No. So, th- that's possible, you know, you know flick, of, flick of a switch, and you can see, um, and, and you can, screen goes black. With the with the Enterprise launching, uh, I quite like that they only survive because Sulu's useless and can't get them to work. <laughs> yeah, and you know they're a good minute or two behind, so they miss the attack. I, I like that. that. That's quite funny. And this this is uh, although the uh, the term the the technology terminology 
as a tongue twister, um, is a bit off. Have you have you engaged disengaged the external dampeners? I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you could turn it into a game, just making up bullshit. Trick. Yep. Oh, you're gonna have to bleep yourself. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, um, Sulu is is incompetent. Doesn't know how the ship works. So, uh, good pilot apparently. Oh, to his defence, he'd only just transferred, so he obviously mm. he obviously wasn't quite up to spec with the the um, systems. With the eye bridge, he doesn't the, know how the, with eye the eye bridge. Works. And besides, with that amount of lens flare in your eyes, you know, you you, you might miss that little blinking light. Yeah. How does anyone get anything done? Because when I'm at work, I have to close the curtains in the morning or the blinds in the morning. Yep. I don't understand how, but obviously, maybe they just don't give a damn. They just fly <laughs> around. Yeehaw. Yeah, but this is the first point where the crew is essentially together, apart from Scotty, because Chekhov's there, and uh, poor Anton Yelchin, incidentally. Mm. Yeah. That was rather tragic. Yeah. Such, um, such a <sighs> tragic way to go as well. So unexpected. Yeah. Unavoidable. Yeah. He had a bright career ahead of him, I think. Definitely, I think he was on to big, big things. He was, he was gonna, he was gonna be, uh, yeah, on the on the on the same lines as Chris Hemsworth and stuff like that, and people like that, you know, Patrick Stewart and things. He was on to, he was gonna do bigger and better. Yeah. I mean, he's been in, he had been on a raft of films in between. Uh, we've seen yeah. him in, in Star Trek. Mm. Interestingly, going back to Chris Hemsworth, isn't he the person that's the biggest star in this film? He goes on to be the biggest well, out I think, of all of them. Yeah. Yeah, you're quite... Thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, you're quite right, yeah. Because <laughs> Chris Pine's not really went anywhere. Quinto does weird stuff. Uh, Chris Pine's done a couple of films. I, I liked him in Unstoppable. Yeah. That was cool. Zoe Saldana was going somewhere for a while, but then she's... It just stopped. Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes that is personal decisions. So let's. Uh, I'm not gonna. I, I ain't going to um, judge anybody on on what, where their career is going because sometimes they just decide. No, I don't want to do that right now. She loves a franchise. Though. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Marvel, Star Trek, Avatar, which will eventually be a franchise, whether we like it or not. Oh yeah, they're going to make another one, aren't they? Another two. Oh wow, I didn't hear that. Yeah. I liked Avatar. I thought that was quite nice. <laughs> I, I went to see it in the uh, in uh, IMAX in, in in 3D, and it was just completely. It just sucked, drew, drew me in. Hmm. It was a uh, in IMAX and 3D. It was a spectacular film. Try to watch it at home, and even on a ri- rather nice large format uh, flat screen, didn't quite have the same impact. It just doesn't translate. I couldn't no. watch it all. I mean, I've I watched I've watched it one and a half times. Hmm. Interestingly, this um, this film was at this sort of at the start of the three D boom and didn't get didn't quite get converted into three D. No, like. but it, I saw it in the IMAX. It was very good in the IMAX. Um, so yeah. I saw it at the time, I think. I think I went through to Glasgow to see it. Same here. Um, I went to the Glasgow IMAX and uh, with a bunch of friends, and we made a day of it. And it was, it, 
which is why I, I liked I liked the the new film because because of the format I watched it in. It was visually spectacular. I had this massive screen in front of me. It was just all encompassing and uh, it just yeah, just like uh, Avatar, it just drew me in and uh, I was just completely absorbed into the uh, uh, in, into the film. I just enjoyed it, which is probably why I don't have too much of a problem with Star Trek. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, um, so when we're when we're all at warp, Chekhov gets laughed at because he he speaks broken Russian <laughs> uh, while delivering a shipwide broadcast. <laughs> and um and Kirk runs around um, with his giant hands and and his messed up vision and all that stuff. And it's all it's all very funny and and fast paced and um kind of strange. It's it feels like it's not doesn't take much uh, very long at all from them to go into warp until they arrive at Vulcan. But from what I understand, several hours have passed hmm. because you you see McCoy has changed from his cadet getup into duty uniform. Um, so obviously some sort of time has passed between going into warp, Chekhov's um, mission briefing, and then uh, when. Kirk starts uh, paying attention to what's being said. Hmm. He's just been progressively inflating the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that for, for hours, and he's cured within minutes, so that's all right. Yeah, good old McCoy. <laughs> good old, good old medical technology in the twenty-third century. Yeah, that's yeah. The, I like the exchange he has with them um, with Spock, where you know Spock says, "Why are you here? Get away! You're you're wrong." And then he gets proven right, and and Spock says, "Actually, he's right." You know, it kind of shows that the safety of the ship is more important than than him being right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like that. Where at first he's he's very defensive and very, you know, you shouldn't be here. Um, kind of almost like I've got a grudge against you because you uh, you screwed with my test kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, so I really don't. I have no time for you whatsoever until Kirk manages to say a few, just a few words that makes him listen, and then, mm. being the logic of Vulcan, half Vulcan he is, he actually then okay, fair enough, say your piece. Yeah, and then, then they they appear at Vulcan, Kirk's right, and uh, the the fleet has been destroyed, and I mean they can't have been behind by more than a couple of minutes, mm. so that's some quick work. Oh, it took uh, it took them a couple of minutes to. Well, actually, the the, the Kelvin shields were down in, in no time at all, and the ship, and then it took forever to take the the batter the ship itself physically. <laughs> yeah, which has been called. People have called that as a bit of a. Uh, wait, hang on a second. How can they drop the shields within seconds? But then it takes them forever to actually, well, not even destroy the ship. Because plot. Because plot. Yeah, always plot. The speed of plot. Anyway, I, I saw one. I saw one guy. Um, he argued that the shields were just um, uh, a nice to have feature, but the sh- the, the the hulls were um, armored and were designed to take a bit of a beating before uh, things really got critical. Which is why once you're through the shields, you then it just takes a bit to batter the ships. But then that doesn't under- that doesn't track as to only a couple of minutes after the fleet arrived, it's all just just debris. Yeah, doesn't quite make make sense to me at all. But they're uh, they're safe because they're the Enterprise. 
which is <laughs> which is good, yeah, because of reasons. Yeah, um, plot reasons. I don't know. Um, then, oh, oh well. Also, Nero does actually spot uh, the ship's name, and then doesn't. F- he's, yeah. he's about to fire, and yeah. So that kind of makes sense. It's not. Uh, uh, he's looking for the Enterprise because he knows Spock is on it. Uh, so that does kind of make sense. I don't think that was. Um, someone says that was just a cheap and nasty uh, plot point, just to uh, explain why the uh, the Enterprise doesn't get destroyed. Uh, and I'm like, no, actually, it makes a lot of sense. He's looking for Spock. He wants to exact revenge on Spock. So why destroy his ship? Yeah. Yep, so it, 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 it makes sense. Perfect sense to me. Yeah. And uh, it is a cool sequence where you see the Enterprise struggling to maneuver its way through yep. the debris field. Dodging R2-D2. Yeah. Loses, uh, it loses some paint. Loses some some roof tiles. Yeah, I think it actually loses a couple of... Um, um, whole, whole plates, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, brand new ship. It's a scratch. That's, that's like getting your car, going, taking it from the from the uh, forecourt off to the shops, come back and someone's dinged it. <laughs> yeah, so... But they um, have bigger fish to fry. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's, it's kind of at this point the film starts to... I feel like it starts to rush them to wrap itself up. I don't know what everyone else thinks, but you know, you get this Pikes captured, and and suddenly they, they they need an action scene, and then they need to get Kirk back on the ship, and they need another action scene, and then the film's over, sort of thing. Yes and no. It it doesn't look too rushed. I mean, it's it's all got a logical progression. Pike knows what's going to happen when he boards the ship because obviously he's studied what happens with the Kelvin. So he knows when when uh, Nero's inviting him to uh, discuss terms of surrender and such like. He knows he's a dead, he's more or less a dead man. Um, but he uses that situation to get uh, Kirk and Paul into a position where they can uh, change the um, change the way the thing, things are going, you know, so, so, uh, so, to their advantage. Yeah. Why does why does everybody think that they're not monitoring Pike's life signs when he's on the? Uh, <laughs> On the Narada. Uh, tension. <laughs> it's because they're, they're watching the, the cooler space jump, I think. Yeah, it's also, it's also they're, they're blinded by all the lens flares so they can't find the switch. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. But you've got this... Um, it seems that Nero has a habit of, of taking um, prisoners for some reason. It is a character trait, definitely. Yeah, I do like the space jump though. I think it's really well done. I mean, you know, it's filmed on mirrors. They're standing on mirrors to reflect the sky. It's really cool. I think it's actually very good. Yeah, uh, it's the first time we ever see that in, in, in Star Trek. I mean, there was meant to be some similar kind of introduction to um, uh, Generations, with mm. Kirk doing a, a very low orbit, um, uh, almost just out of atmosphere jump, um, and then landing on uh, on Earth and. Uh, I think it's Chekhov and Scotty that meet him or something like that, but it gets cut. Uh, so this is the first time we actually see it on screen. Uh, yeah. It's sort of like a, a low-orbit jump, and it's, I think it's quite cool. Uh, yeah. And did anybody catch that it's the red shirt that buys it? Well, yeah. yeah, but why does he wait to pull his chute for so long? Because he's, he's a crazy person. Because he's, he's in just red. Like an adrenaline junkie, and he's thinking... Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, he, he, thinks, <laughs> he thinks he can. Uh, he wants to be first on a platform. So if he releases uh, lower, um, that would have been that that would have worked. But he released uh, a couple of feet too uh, too late. <laughs> it's quite a good death, as deaths go. <laughs> it yeah. is that 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 momentary scream is also quite chilling. Yeah. Um, although I, I love the look on Kirk's face when Sulu tells him that his expertise is in fencing. <laughs> although, from what I can tell, what he does isn't fencing. That's uh, I don't know. It's different. It's something. Yeah. It's I'm sure there's got to be a YouTube mashup of his it's a light- collapsible sword turning into a lightsaber. Yeah, it's, it's a lightsaber without the light. That, that's <laughs> what he's doing. It's a lightsaber fight without the lightsabers. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. JJ's Star Wars. Creeping into Star Trek. Yep. Day for them as well that there's only a couple of guys that come out to fight them. To be honest, it's not a big, it's not a big drilling rig. Yeah, to be honest, it's 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 mostly all emitter, and with uh, it looks like um, just enough room for a couple of people to be sitting either side of it. Um, what they're doing, no one knows, because obviously the the thing's being um, controlled by the ship. Yeah. Mm. But um, yeah, they're down there in case someone decides to. I can, jump onto it. <laughs> well, yeah, I can, I can believe that they're not expecting anyone to turn up actually on the platform there. So, yeah, because yeah. they know they they'll they'll know that the, it's energy. What was it? It's energy signature or something was stopping the the transporters from working. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, there's there's, all, there's so much of this crap in these. <laughs> that this, you know, the transporters aren't that, working. That's because, Star Trek. That's yeah. Star Trek. They're always they've got all this tech, and something always happens to stop it from working. It's the tiniest little thing. It's like a tree blocking a, blocking a satellite signal. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of these things. Um, there's, a, there's a big tree in the way, we can't beam them up. I didn't call BS on that because I'm just so used to that. There's always something <laughs> stopping the transport of working or uh, something, some reason why they can't use a shuttle. Or something Although, like when, um, yeah, when, when they do get the transporters back and they beam them back, the thing that... I mean, it's all pretty cool, it's all pretty tense, but, you know, when they get... When they get beamed back, they should have just been paced on the transporter pad because they, they've never stopped the momentum of people travelling. No, they didn't. By beaming them up. So, yeah, they should have just been... They were just plucked out of the out of the sky, well, what was almost the ground, and then yeah. they just kind of stopped. There's just total inertia as they <laughs> arrive safely in the transporter room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their helmets smash and stuff, so, you know... Yeah, so it seems like they're they're invincible and would have been okay if they'd crashed on the ground anyway. Yeah. They do, they do hit the floor kind of um, awkwardly. Yeah. Although you do you get to see Chekhov being the best at what he does. Yeah, he's obviously using calculations, so he's obviously... Um, I mean, I'm fine with that as well, with the, the whole lack of you know being paced. Because he's, he's done calculations and he's obviously managed to uh, somehow um, cancel out the, the inertia. In, yeah. At the end of the day, if you can if you can quite happily accept that they're beaming <laughs> someone atom by atom up to a ship, <laughs> then it's it's not too much of a stretch of imagination that that cancels out any inertia as well. I mean, yeah, historically, when you transport, you're still you're you're standing still anyway, mm. and they can't move until they're fully materialised. Right, so yeah. he's he's like calculated the amount of reverse thrust he'd have to put on them to have them, arri- <laughs> to have them arrive. Basically, it's a soft landing. But yeah, I, I I agree with you. You know, if you, as you say, if you're willing to believe that that could uh, that that could happen, why not the the extra leap? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, nitpicky. Uh, you know, most of my concerns about this film are nitpicky. Yeah. To be fair. But, um, Isn't there a point later on, or it might even be in the next film, where they're unable to do the same thing? They're unable to beam people who are falling or uh, are, you know, in constant movement? I'm sure there's, uh, a, I'm yeah, sure there's a That's reason. the second one. Yeah. Right. I'm sure we'll, there's we'll a good reason that, yeah. for it. But, um, I think yeah. there's a different reason. It's because there's too many bodies or something like that. Uh, and that you can't dis- distinguish between the uh, because they're at the limit of their range or something. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what. I'll need to have a look at that. Probably a good, good Star Trek reason. <laughs> Reasons. Yeah, yeah. Because Trek no babble. There you go. <laughs> so um, haven't heard from Natalie in a while. What What are your thoughts? Is she still in the room? She uh, is still here. Thoughts? Space jump. Massive drills. Space fencing. Lightsabers. That aren't lightsabers. What space something? Yeah, you know, when the guy is Not parachuting right into a fiery um, oh, death. Oh, yeah, like what? What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, are these guys not supposed to be, like, super trained? And he, like, launches himself out there like an asshole. <laughs> What's he doing? Pretty much. Well, nah, wasn't, least, wasn't, hang on. Sulu and the Red Shirt are actually commissioned officers. Kirk is the only one that's a technically a cadet at that point. Yeah, but you can believe that he's taken all those advanced classes. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, he likes to jump off things and run around. And... Definitely. You know, he's, he's, he's established as being the action hero, the best guy on board, so that's fine, I think. Him being able to do that is fine, because he's Kirk, and Kirk can do everything. There was a scene... Shortly after they land on on that platform thing, that I didn't quite like, when he's fighting one of the bad guys that emerges from, uh, like the floor, because uh-huh. you see him when he when he lands onto the platform with his parachute and stuff, and he throws his helmet away, but then, like twenty seconds later, he's bashing this guy over the head with it, and I was like, where did you get that from? That is the Magnetic helmet. They used, he, he used the, the force to retrieve it. Oh, <laughs> Why not, Aim? Just before, just before Alderaan is destroyed. <laughs> just, well, uh, that's, yeah. They, they blow up Vulcan, which is, or uh, get it sucked into a black hole, which is, um, I guess it's the statement that we can do anything in this universe. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll take one of the um, main main planets from the the history of Star Trek and we're going to destroy it from inside. Yeah, and I also quite like how they, they couple it with Spock losing his mother because, you know, we can't imagine what the destruction of a planet feels like to, to someone because, you know, we live on a planet and we've never seen one destroyed, but we can like understand what a guy losing his mother can under, feel, will feel like. Definitely, I can, I can relate to that. So, you know... The, the bit where he looks at the empty transporter pad and she's not there and that his human side comes through definitely yeah. at that point he's and as as uh, Spock Prime later on says spoilers he is emotionally compromised yeah it's not something you see in a lot of blockbusters either you know this kind of quiet moment in the middle where they're allowed to let something sink in you know even in the next film it's kind of just on to the next thing on to the next thing you know every time Mm. That is actually a good point. 
There's something about a comment you just made about um, it lets a human side show the fact that he's considering the loss of his mother. Uh-huh. But I don't know if that's... I don't know if you can say that when I don't think it is a human thing to to be feeling emotions because his father says to him, you know, that he married her because he loved her. It's not just a human thing to have emotions. Even as a Vulcan, you have emotions, and the difference is that um, the difference is that Sarek isn't visibly affected by it. Yeah, at least not as, just, as much as Spock is. He suppresses you know, so the visual side of the emotion. Yeah, he can. So you know, he, yeah, but yeah, that, he buries it and deals with it. Some humans do that though, so it's not like a. Yeah. No, but it, it is a in 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 universe. Um, it's it's not something you often see a, a Vulcan do, and even in uh, the original series, um, Spock very rarely showed any kind of emotion whatsoever. Uh, only when he when he was compromised with some sort of um, plot point. Yeah, or you know, he, he would he would say everything through an eyebrow raise. You'd know how he's feeling when he's raising his eyebrow at once. Mm. That's, um, that's how Leonard Nimoy emoted. But this is the first time we see Spock that's actually the thing is mourning. That they do, they do. So it's not like it's just that because they are a, they're Vulcan, it, you can't view it as being any less uh, showing emotion than what humans do just because they've decided that maybe his eyebrow raises are an indication of an emotion for him. But, like, you know, each, each species or whatever, each race, whatever, and they'll have a different way of showing emotion. So you can't say that a lack of, like, facial uh, consideration of the fact that his mother's died makes it um, any less... Do you know what I mean? Like, I get, I get what you mean, Al. Yeah. It's not just a uh, human... Definitely uh, not, no. Definitely not. It's, it's, it's going by the history of Spock. Uh, um, he's always had this conflict because of his half-human nature. Um, the um, it's it's harder for him to su- suppress his emotions, um, which he st- does successfully throughout um, the, his original career. Um, it's just very rare we see Spock actually show emotion, um, and it, it was very nice to see that that moment where he the the mourning on his face of that empty transporter pad. Also, in the, the context of this film, I think um, all the humans are established to be very hyper-emotional. So, you know, everyone is, I guess, showing a lot more... Everybody, you know, there's there's nobody who's um, who's repressed in any way. Everyone just kind of wears their heart on their sleeve, so to speak. So it makes it a bigger contrast when Spock doesn't. And then a bigger, again, a bigger again contrast when he does. Yeah, maybe it's because I didn't see, like, a lot of the original things and stuff, but I found it really weird that everyone kept telling Spock that he wasn't showing emotion when I thought that he actually was. That might just be a symptom of the fact that it's kind of being introduced to a new generation of potential fans and they have to feel it, they have to explain a lot of the um, the characteristics to people. Yeah, but I felt like if you're yeah. going to try and explain them, then you should have it where he doesn't actually uh, show any emotion. But I thought that he did. I thought that he did. He kind, of, he, he doesn't he kind of does throughout, but he's, he's a lot more restrained, I would say. I don't, was he restrained when he's like pummeling Kirk's face? Well, that's later. That's, that, that's later when Kirk pushes him over oh, the edge. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, 
Yeah. Show them as having like uh, no emotion or blah blah. I think everyone kept telling him that he didn't show emotion, but I think that he was pretty emotional. I think that he showed that quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, you don't see his stoic Vulcan side that much. No. Um, but, you know, that that moment is definitely, a, you know, regardless of how much emotion he showed before that point or not, it's definitely a powerful a powerful scene. And I do like that a, a blockbuster film in 2009 is able to just take a minute to, you know, take stock of itself and and let the, the planet destroying sink in. So I don't think that even happens in The Force Awakens, you know, where they blow up six planets or whatever it is. No, definitely. And then everybody just gets on with it a scene later, you know? Yeah, they're just straight, out, straight on to the next thing. Yeah. So, you know, props to Abrams and the writers for actually taking a couple of minutes out of a two-hour runtime to just to just let that, that happen. Let it sink in. Yeah. And then... After this point, you get the alternate reality established in dialogue, where they, you know, where they say that this is all different. It's, it's not going to go the same way. Uh, it's kind of on the nose, but mm. um, and Kirk gets kicked off the ship at that point because he disagrees with Spock. Definitely, yep. That, that, that's <laughs> something that a lot of people th- think is a bit um, reckless, kicking someone, yeah. kicking someone off the ship onto an ice planet of all places. Yeah, onto a nice planet that apparently is next door to Vulcan for some reason. Yeah, indeed. Um, so next door that you can see it in the in the sky. Yeah. On a snowy day. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's BS. <laughs> Although, and it and it has the Cloverfield monster on it. So it does. A small red version of the Cloverfield monster. Mm. Very very red for a for a sort of Arctic environment. Yeah, <laughs> it, has no, it has no fur or anything like that, so it's, it doesn't seem to have any way to um, keep its body heat. So it yeah. doesn't look like something that would survive long. Yeah, it does. And maybe it got kicked off a ship as well. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> For disagreeing with the captain. <laughs> or injecting uh, alternative logic into a situation. Yeah. Um, but what are the chances of finding that one cave that Spock happened to be in? I mean, yeah, that's, 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 that's one in a billion, that is. <laughs> but, uh, but, pl- but plot, so it says it has to happen in the script, so it happens. Yeah, yeah, and as good as yeah, it is to see Leonard Nimoy... Spock's able to come to his aid very quickly and just at the right moment. Yeah, yeah, and as good as it is to see Nimoy, the, the mind meld is kind of a an exposition dump. It is. But we have we've seen similar in uh, many 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 films. You know, uh, someone gets introduced in the nick of time, um, uh, uh, you know, just out of nowhere. Um, so, in that kind of way, I don't have too much of a problem with that. And the mind meld made made a lot of sense um, for uh, Spock to quickly convey exactly what what, what went on. Yeah. yeah. Time's all the essence, and you can with a mind meld you can transfer information much quicker. Yeah, and part of me felt like Leonard Nimoy was kind of a Spock string puppet in this film. You know, they trot out as many of his catchphrases as they can in a short space of time. I don't know. I don't think there was any um, need for his catchphrases. No, well, the, I mean, the first 
but the second thing he says is, I have been and always shall be your friend. You know, and Kurt's just like, what? Who is this crazy old Welsh? Yeah, that, that, that seems... <laughs> he lives in a cave and he's, he thinks he knows yeah, me. That, that, seems, that, that does seem a bit forced. <laughs> Should he be like turning to the camera every time and just winking like <laughs> that one's for you, Trekkers? Yeah. I mean, as good as it is to have him play Spock again, you know, his presence in this film isn't entirely necessary. No, no, but but it's nice because the, the the plot was moving by this point. You know? Definitely, um, but uh, they needed a way to get Kirk back onto the the ship. Yeah. And uh, Prime Spock knew of uh, a way, and um, that's that's how he became useful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we meet Scotty at this point, and the first thing he talks about is food, <laughs> which is a strange reference to the fact that James Doohan was a little bit overweight in his uh, advanced years. Do you, do you think that was that's what it was? Well, I hope not. Uh, I don't know. I I think it was uh, it, him him just being a morny bugger. Because uh, he's he's been on this planet, he's obviously been on on that ice planet for quite some time, where there's naught but nasty animals that want to eat you, um, <laughs> uh, for company, uh, and a funny thing with stalks for eyes. Um, so he's obviously on rations and stuff like that. So of course, if you get two people that can actually talk to you, uh, and not just shrug, um, then of course you're going to start complaining about it. Hmm. But yeah. It just, you know, when you have that... I guess that, that connection was made in my head and it was made in at least a few other people's... <laughs> Fair enough. It was written towards his rotund future. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's foreshadowing. One day, this guy will be fat. <laughs> I had I, never, never thought that at all. That, that, that's, that's a new one to me. But uh, I, I could see, I could see how, that, how you might consider that to be some, a little you know, jab in the side. Yeah. If, what does everybody think of Simon Pegg in this role? I was about to ask that question. Do not like. No. 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 Why? Why? <sighs> I just. I don't know. I don't know if it's something to do with um, finding the accent incredibly annoying, or just how he chooses to play it. I just find the character to be, a, you know, too moany, a bit too annoying. I I do kind of agree. The tournament of the comic relief and and Scotty was always funny. Mm-hmm. He was also a genius. Yeah, you know, he's an eccentric genius. That's what he's supposed to be. He's not supposed to be this this cookie guy that you know rushes around and you wonder why he's there. Yeah. I guess they do stress the genius side of him, but just yeah. he doesn't come across as all that competent. I suppose. <laughs> no. No, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. He is, he is and he makes fun of Sulu later as well. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, the ship is in position, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I, I I actually like his accent. It's a lot better than Duan's accent was. Um, it's a lot better than uh, some actors doing accents. Um, <coughs> pretty far. <coughs> um, <laughs> and the fact that he's got a, a Glaswegian wife. Does help a lot. He he bounce, that that he's channeling his channeling his wife uh, when he's uh, talk, give it, uh, talking in that accent. Yeah, it's it's a consistent accent. I'll give him that. But I don't think they ever decided for this version of Scotty where he was from and what accent he was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So he ends up he ends up trotting out sort of colloquialisms from different places in Scotland that I've come across. You know, it's, 
Because I don't know if that's his fault or if it's the writer's. For, uh, no, it'll be the right, that's the writer's fault. That's the writer's fault. Well. But, but it also... Like, we borrow colloquialisms from all over Scotland, so I do it myself. I'm not going to judge someone that we see on screen doing it, because it's not what we think area-specific. It's... I was about to, I was about to say that as well. In in the future, uh, Scotland presumably people travel more, people talk to other people from other uh, other parts of Scotland more. So you will pick up colloquialisms. I mean, I, when I when I'm in Glasgow, I start picking that that up more when I'm talking to my friends, and I respond uh, in in kind. Um, I do. Same like when in Glasgow. And then when I come when I come back home to. Uh, uh, to Fife, then I pick up the Fife accent again. I think um, I think in general, and for probably the vast majority of the audience, the accent probably isn't that much of a problem because no, because they don't it's, have any familiarity. It's definitely Scottish. That's, <laughs> yeah, it can be yeah. said it's Scottish. It's, it's not Glaswegian. It's not um, Dundonian. It's just generic Scot Scottish. When and, and for that matter, it does its job. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell he's supposed to be Scottish, and you know they they do have the genius thing, but um, he sits around waiting for Spot to tell him about this thing that he'll discover one day, <laughs> which ultimately ruins the next film in a lot of ways. He does he, he does make it he does show that um, he was he was obviously um, developing that um, you know trying to make that work because um, he does say a line saying he never thought. He never um, thought of thinking space as the thing that the object that was the thing that was moving or something like that. I can't remember the exact yeah, lines. That's that's the line. Yeah, so he yeah. was he, he was obviously uh, working on something like that anyway. So that does kind of show his genius side that he understood what he's seeing in front of him instead of going, mm. "What on earth is that? That's gobbledygook. I don't understand yeah. that." Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think that there's no at no point is it shown as if he's sort of been uh, endowed with this knowledge beyond him or anything like that so it does uh, I agree that it's, he's presented as being um, sort of capable from that side of things I just think that uh, other, there's other sort of incompetent aspects of his character <laughs> I also don't think Spock should have shown him the equation because he didn't need to all he needed to do was input it so they could beam aboard the Enterprise he doesn't need to um, Scotty doesn't need to see that what if he told him space is the thing that's moving and then Scotty would be like wait if I just tweak my equation <laughs> Hmm. I, I, I yeah. think that was that was just basically um, a method to get, get things moving along quicker without yeah. le, le, without telling Spock what he need, what, um, Scotty what he needs to work on and then waiting for uh, Scotty yeah. uh, to figure it out. He just went, I'm just going to input this, and because Scotty's yeah. there, he he obviously he looked. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you think Scott uh, Spock would have been a bit more careful about him seeing it? Yeah, I feel so. Or him that he's sort of robbed of the of his greatest discovery. <laughs> he also, um, he ch you know, Spock purposely chooses not to come along because he wants the the crew to get all, get along and become the team that he enjoyed being a part of. Mm. So you know, I think that yeah, the scene didn't need Scotty to see the equation because you know it causes so many other problems later anyway. It cer certainly doesn't uh, need to, but it does allow him to have that uh, that uh, line which injects that yeah, he's quite a capable uh, person, quite yeah. quite clever, and understands what's, what uh, Spock just did. 
Yeah. So uh, in, in that respect, it was required because beforehand he didn't look like he, he just wasn't up to much because he's he's been left on this planet somewhere uh, with a broken shuttle that he can't fix. Yeah. And then there's the um, the then he gets stuck in the Enterprise's lazy river. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's kind. It's kind. It's, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you've always wondered what would happen if they don't quite calculate uh, the the transport coordinates properly. It's yeah. kind of funny in that way. Like finally, this is what happens when. This is why you you really make sure that you know where you're beaming. <laughs> um, it's also yeah. shows that they're at the limit of what they can do, but the whole. I don't think he would have been able to hold his breath quite that as long as he, he does in the film. Well, he didn't take a deep breath before he beamed out, so, you know... Exactly. So I, I think it would probably would have, would have been um, spewed out of that um, emergency hatch, which was um, quite conveniently located uh, <laughs> for for all the uh, midnight um, dips that the crew, crew go for. Um, just before the, the, the skull-crushing turbine, so that's handy. Yeah, the, ch- the, the chomping blades of, of horrendous death. Why is it above the catwalk, but you know, just <laughs> far enough up that no one could ever reach it, but you could fall from it and you know, and hurt yourself, not be yeah. badly injured <laughs> because uh, because a, reasons. Well, yeah, come on, they, they, they're using a brewery as the um, as as the as engineering. So mm. yeah, everyone's drunk. That's what's going on. Yeah, that's what it's it all is. about. That's too with gloop for me, I think. Yeah. Augustus Gloop. Yeah. Oh yes, I, like, I got that reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like when they get caught by security, and that guy gets to after three years finally return Kirk's cupcake jab. <laughs> that is quite good, actually. I liked that. And He's been sitting on it for three years. It's yeah. it's become an obsession. He hates it. He hates that he was called it, and now he's got it's, he gets closure. He gets called cup. He's he's a cupcake uh, officer. I think that I think that's his nickname. Cupcake. All his friends call him Cupcake. He's, most, he's ruined his life. It would most like I, you know. To to be honest, I would not be surprised if if that is, would actually be the case. <laughs> yeah. But after that, we've got the bit that uh, Natalie was talking about, where um, Spock beats Kirk to within an inch of his life, which is uh, one of the strongest scenes in the film, I think. Mm. Did you like it? Not really. Seeing Spock go to town on him? Nope. <laughs> you know what's going to I liked how it um, it showed Spock uh, had a um, he was it showed Spock for being emotionally compromised as he uh, as he was, and it was not what we would expect of Spock. Yeah, it, it was exactly what I expected of him because you can totally tell that that's where the story's going. It was a complete especially if you've seen the trailer. Completely <laughs> Like we know that he becomes Captain Kirk so we know that of course that's going to happen in order for him to become Captain so I think it was completely yeah. you totally see that happening and I, think I like I like, the, I like the mechanics of the scene though you know where you get Kirk right up in his face you know trying to get that emotional response I think he could have tried harder <laughs> I think you know, he says he says like he doesn't really go into anything you know he just kind of says oh your mother's Dead or something, and you've d- and you've done That's nothing. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could have made it, you know, a little bit harder. Could have gotten a bit more brutal with that, I suppose. But a little bit more scathing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought it was fine. Um, I, it, it wasn't something, as a Star Trek fan, not expected. I didn't expect to see Spock do that in the film. And I remember seeing the trailer at first, I was like, oh man, this is going to suck. You've got Spock beating people up. Mm, and this is, but it works. But, you know, in, in context it works. Yeah, it is works it? in context. Because I was, I, was I was afraid of that as well when I saw it in the, in the trailer. I'm like, mm, they better come up with a good explanation for that. Uh, and they do. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it makes sense. Yeah, and uh, Spock stands down on his own, of course. Um, Indeed, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't need any cajoling. He's just like, okay, I've gone too far. I'm off. He recognizes um, that, recognizes that uh, according to the letter of the law, he needs to stand down. So again, yeah. that's his logical side coming back as well. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and then Kirk and then takes command. Kirk assumes command. And no one objects. Exactly. Well, so, someone do, someone does say who's in command, and he says, "Well, Pike made him first officer before you left." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> yeah. So there's like, you know, there's some poor guy down in uh, engineering or the security room or somewhere who's just like, "Who's this guy?" It was supposed to be me. <laughs> yep. Everyone has just been bumped down one. Yeah. <laughs> because Kirk. It's like the manager's pet. You know, he gets all the. Uh, he gets all the perks, even though it doesn't necessarily deserve them. But it's true if you're if you're one if you're someone else who's like very rarely on the bridge, or you're just hearing these orders coming in, <laughs> and you have no idea who this guy is. You're like, what? <laughs> who's the captain now? Who? Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, a uh, captaincy is decided by general proximity to whoever's captain at the time. Well, he, he does make that shipwide announcement. Yeah. So people would know. Well, people would know it's him, um, but they wouldn't know. But no one would know beforehand that it was him. Yeah, and possibly not everybody would know him by face. So they'd they'd, they'd walk into it, the, and there's this guy that they've never seen before, sitting uh, sitting in the centre seat, and like, hey, yeah, and someone gets corralled into, um, you know, someone got someone corralled him into the escape pod as well. It's like, hey, isn't that guy that I threw off the ship a couple hours ago? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no explanation needed. <laughs> they're either that loyal or just kind of browbeaten that they sort of well, well, I accept well, it's it. crewed by largely cadets isn't it so. Oh, yeah so they're, they're like this must be normal <laughs> yeah oh, this, this rotate I'll be captain next week everybody gets a shot but yeah it's you know it's kind of one of those plot reasons everybody's in the everybody's in the position they need to be you know everybody's sitting in their right chair and all that stuff you just need Spock to uh, deal with this conflict slightly and then get on board with the whole plan. Which he does, eventually does, yes. Yeah. Which is a... And then you get the sort of end set piece, which is I think is very messy, actually. Mm. Um, if you, if, for the most part. If you're talking about... Um, um, despite the fact that the Narada's slowly getting sucked into it's all, uh, a black hole, they, they decide to still just fire everything they've got at them. Yeah, but sort of even before that, you know, the the whole rising out of Titan's atmosphere is pretty cool, but it's just done for a cool shot. It, it, that is, that's just done for visual spectacular, and it's yeah. it, it's it's a really nice visual uh, visual scene. I like it. Um, yeah. It almost makes the Enterprise uh, unobjectionable. Yeah. Um, with all the lights flashing and stuff like that, and things like that, it's it's quite cool. It is. Cool. Yeah. And when they're sort of running around the the Narada, it's kind of... It, I, I never felt like they were in any real danger. 
I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I thought they were because um, beforehand, when we've seen phaser fights, and let's just call them phaser fights, um, it's always been fairly clinical, and um, someone takes a shot and they they crumple down to the gr- on, on the ground, and you you know that, that that that's most likely just stun, and he'll he'll wake up with a headache later on, and he'll be fine. But in the firefight that we see on, on the Narada, you've got pretty vicious sounding weapons hits all over the place. Uh, and when someone, when when people take uh, uh, that guy who comes up really close to them, and, take, and they, they 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 pop him in the in the chest, you see a wound mm. and everything like that, and you see him actually, it's quite a nasty um, nasty firefight actually. And I thought yeah, this is more dangerous than uh, than previous firefights I've seen in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean it was kind of well, it was modernised in the sense, you know, they're, they're not beam weapons and they're mm. you know they're they're more like Star Wars blasters again. And, you know, yeah, I mean, and instead of bullet hits, you've got um, uh, energy hits. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the same kind of thing. Is it? It was. It, I thought that was quite impressive with all the weapons hits going off around them, some of them barely missing them, um, yeah. and uh, I actually thought they generally were in uh, in trouble there. They they did. There was a danger that one of them could get hit. Mm. I mean, obviously they're the main characters, so they might just get a wing. They might just get winged <laughs> or something like that. But and that's about it. But um, the effects and everything. Yeah, they have to traverse quite a lot of gantries without handrails and things as well. So <laughs> again, that's Star Wars. That's, that's, falling, that's, falling danger. Yeah, and the bit, there's the bit where Kirk um, is is a bit Spider-Man like, you know, where he's holding onto that slippery platform. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, and he manages to stall the guy. Yeah, um, and it's kind of something that uh, it, it's clear that in, in both these films, Abrams isn't really interested in letting Kirk be a commander who sits in a chair and gives orders. You know, he'd rather he'd rather have him on the on the ground or on the ship yeah. running around shooting at stuff. He wants Kirk to be his hand solo. Yeah. You know, and I would like to see the, the commander side instead of, as we get to now, him uh, ordering a ship that's been torn apart by a black hole to be shot at. Maybe we'll get to see that in the next film. Uh-huh. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe it was just a sort of very young and impulsive side. I mean, he'd only just yeah. become captain. Uh, so yeah, maybe he'll maybe he'll take a back seat or the commanding seat. It does. <laughs> it does. It does sound like it from. Uh, from the trailers, anyway. Although I do, um, I do quite like, or I, I was starting to quite like the the offer he made to save Nero to show that they were better, and, and then when Nero's like, "Nah, I, I, you're not going to save me," yeah, and then up, Kurt up, up yours. Him. Yeah, I think that um, in order to show that he was still better, he would have tried anyway. I think Kurt, uh, the original and that would have, been, have done that, yes, definitely. Yeah, and it would have been a better reason for them to be stuck in the black hole as well. Mm. Trying to save Nero and his crew, but they couldn't, and now they're stuck and have to, have to throw Technobabble at it until they get out. Yep, that, that, that's one thing someone pointed out to me. So they, well, they spent all that time shooting at an already doomed ship uh, for, no, for no real gain. They didn't gain anything from it. Um, that they, they could have gotten away without 
ejecting their core and everything like that because they weren't trapped in the in, in the gravity field beforehand. Mm. Uh, but they spent yeah. so long shooting at it for no apparent reason. Uh, but because we're bad, we're badass. Um, yeah, they got themselves into that situation. Just to provide that jeopardy that they had to then get themselves out of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, again, everyone's in the place they need to be, and everybody's laughing at their near miss, and they're all excited, and they're ready to go on a mission, and then Kurt gets promoted to, from cadet to captain in the space of a few days, and. Yeah. You know, given a ship, even though he's not finished his training. He, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You do get to see uh, Spock passing the torch to his younger self, which is a good scene. I do like that, and I did that, did like that um, that line uh, where saying, uh, as my usual salutation would be oddly self-serving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I actually thought that was quite funny. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see them sort of going out and, and doing their own, doing their thing, but I think it just happens too quickly. It's just, you know, they needed this origin story to end with Kirk with his, all his powers, you know, so to speak. Although he does, in, as we'll cover uh, um, later, um, he does get that stripped off him. Spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Uh, Spock delivers the iconic speech. The Enterprise warps off, and you know we wait four years for a sequel. Anybody notice that um, the deflector, little ports open up on the deflector before they go into warp. Yeah, a lot of people don't notice that, but the deflector. I was actually, one of those people. <laughs> a lot of the. I thought that was quite nice. Again, there's another. There's another way of uh, just. Differentiating between old Trek technology and new Trek technology. Mm. But oh. yeah, that's, it's, it's a nice having Spock um, deliver uh, his speech at the yeah. end there. Yeah. So the the film is over at that point, and we finally got through it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So final thoughts, everybody. I mean, general thoughts on this film. I quite enjoyed it. It's it's good. It's good blockbuster fare, isn't it? It respects enough of Star Trek, and it's fun, and you know, it's well paced, and yeah, it it kind of it puts it in a good place, I think. Yeah, and it had you know like a nice re-establishing story, and um, and and I think for somebody who's kind of like an outsider too, it felt yeah, just quite quite fun to watch. Yeah. It's definitely gained uh, Trek a lot of new fans. Yes. Because the amount of people that have come up to me and says, "Do you like Star Trek?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." What do you like? And, you, and then they I respond both of them. <laughs> I get that quite a lot. On its own, the film, the, actually not even on its own, can't count in, into the fact that it is a, um, um, a completely new timeline. I enjoyed it. I, I, I saw it immediately for what it was. It's not a reboot. Um, it's actually um, it's just a parallel universe where everything's the same, but it's different, but it's the same. Um, yeah. And I enjoyed it. I, I came out of the cinema thinking, yep, that was worth my money. And I, and I bought the DVD as soon as I could, and that's usually a good sign for me. Because if I don't like, if I'm not too sure about the film, um, I'll um, 
I won't buy the DVD, basically, because that's the way I show my support, or mm. lack thereof. Yeah, and uh, Angus, what are your thoughts on uh, as a experience? A somewhat experienced fan. I think I think it kind of updates the the franchise, if you will, quite well for the 21st century. It kind of you know puts those kind of action tropes onto it, um, and I think there's there's things in there for for new fans. It's always going to be difficult to to um, please everyone, but I think it's you know it's done well to to get a lot of new fans on board. And there's a lot in there for for old fans and for you know hardcore fans to to enjoy as well. Obviously, we've talked about some of the sort of niggles and things, but I think for the most part, yeah. it is just a bit of you know nitpicking here and there, or everyone's going to find something that doesn't sit entirely right with them. But you know, for the most part, a, a, an enjoyable effort. Oh, definitely, yeah. So uh, on that on that bombshell, I think we should uh, wrap up the, the first roundup. So uh, thank you to the my bridge crew for joining. Uh-huh. Bridge crew now, eh? Um, well, promotions, you know, they happen very quickly in this universe. Come by them very easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you happen to be in proximity to the bridge, so oh, well, you're elected. I, I, I found my rank stripes in the con, con, conflicts box. Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. You, you win them. Hey, that's valid. There's that's a, valid in this universe. There's a there's a shipwide prize draw every day, uh-huh. and and people get the opportunity to. Uh-huh. Become some kind of officer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends. Depends where you get put. You know, if you suddenly if you get put in sick bay, then and you have no medical training, it's going to be a difficult one. If you get put into red, but getting put into red shirt uh, sucks to be you. Yeah, well, not one of those decks that always gets hit by a torpedo, and then you're going to go flying out into space. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> there's all, there's all those problems, you know. It's it's a lottery. I mean, not everyone's yeah. going to win. See, my, my my sort of bad luck would be I would always be assigned to that one ship, one part of the ship that always gets the the the, hull, the outer hull blasted uh, <laughs> away from it. That's my that's my kind of luck. So yeah, that's what that's what would be happening to me. I, I I'm the red shirt. I think I'd, I'd I'd get my job taken by someone that just happens to be nearby at the time. <laughs> Then I'll get thrown out in an escape pod and have to fend for myself on an ice planet. <laughs> so, it's not a good career, but, you know. It's a, it's a short one, but no, I was going to say illustrious as well, but no, it's not even illustrious. <laughs> yeah, so um, thank you everyone for joining for the, the first in our Star Trek series. Yeah, You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I will beam you up. <laughs> yeah, and I will beam you all out. Bye. Thanks for having us aboard, Captain. Bye bye. 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 I hope everyone made it out safely. Thanks everyone who listened through the clicking and enjoyed this podcast. Please tune in to the next edition of Neil Before Pod.